Welcome to the Southern Naturalist Podcast, Nature Notes Edition. These are shorter episodes where we read and discuss interesting information about nature, written by Bob Thomas, a naturalist and environmental educator in the greater New Orleans area for 50 years. My name is Amay Thomas, and Bob is my dad. We're both professors at Loyola University New Orleans and naturalist and fascinated by nature and all she has to offer. As the founding director of the Louisiana Nature Center, an avid nature lover who's a certified Louisiana master naturalist and a professor of environmental communication, I began writing nature notes based on natural history observations and in response to frequent questions. And there are hundreds of these nature notes that Dad started writing decades ago, so we're excited to share some of our favorites. We hope to encourage more people to experience the healing power of nature and develop a stronger will to protect it as our home. This Nature Note podcast is brought to you in part by the Loyola University Center for Environmental Communication. You can find all of the Nature Notes and more by visiting our website at lucec.loyno.edu. Welcome, nature lovers. It's summertime in the South. And one thing that many of us do is flock to the beach. I know we certainly do. So for this month's Nature Note, we thought we would talk about efficiency of birds flying and how the principles of physics apply to bird flight. So we're going to talk about the Nature Note that Dr. Bob wrote in 2011. So let's get right to it. One of the most fascinating areas of study is the realm of functional morphology, especially as it relates to animal behavior and adaptive physiology. That may seem like a mouthful, but to a naturalist trying to understand why animals do what they do and how they do it, it's a font of discovery that usually results in saying, now that is really cool. Yeah, and since we're talking about flight, bird wings basically work like airplane wings. And in fact, airplanes were modeled after bird wings. We're going to save that for another episode completely because there's so much we can talk about with that. One of the interesting strategies in nature is to find and use the most energy efficient method of movement. Taking advantage of wind and thermal currents is always superior to flapping wings. Birds are very attuned to finding any flight advantage that exists in their habitats. Okay, so let's stop here and let's just talk about flapping flight in birds. Um, Flapping flight is exactly what you would think of when you just watch a bird flapping its wings to get from one location to another. So like a cardinal in your yard that is flying from the tree to your feeder, or you see ducks flying overhead at the end of the day on their way to roost. Um, But when we go to the beach, it seems that many of the birds really don't flap their wings as much especially on like a windy day. Um, So I guess what we're getting to here, Dad, is you're going to tell everybody about these um, different ways of flapping that makes um, better use of the energy that they expend so that they are energy efficient, right? Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of different types of flight, and we're going to kind of go through some of the common ones that we can see in the neighborhood. Matter of fact, when I was sitting at my house writing on this this morning, I sat there and watched a Mississippi kite flying over the trees, and it was just beautiful. Oh, yeah, and they barely even flap. Oh, barely. It's just amazing. So if you love watching brown pelicans flying over water uh, in and about America's wetlands, which is coastal Louisiana, 
You've no doubt noticed how often they zip along near the surface. This may occur over smooth water surfaces or in troughs between waves breaking toward the beach. There are a number of different mechanisms of flight. Some birds can make use of all of them if circumstances are right. And there are also many adaptations for flight, which, again, we will talk about in a future episode. Well, give us just one adaptation, just as a little teaser. Hollow bones. Hollow bones. Okay, so it makes them lighter so that they can more readily fly. Exactly. Okay, well, let's get back to pelicans flying low to the surface of the water, because I know people have noticed that, especially when they're sitting on a beach and just looking out over the water daydreaming. Yeah. Most people who just sit on a beach and watch pelicans glide by don't notice the relationship. Why would they? They're simply birds flying by, and sometimes they're near the water, and sometimes they fly higher. As one comes to better understand animals and their natural habitats, it may become apparent that everything they do has a purpose. It is fun to see them do things and ask, why are they doing that? Might they be gaining an advantage? Because that's what they're always doing. They're always looking for the path of least resistance. Always. 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 Yeah, they're just like humans. Yep. We do the same thing. But uh, brown pelicans are large birds, having a wingspan of over 7 feet, tip to tip, and weighing 10 pounds. To any animal, efficiency of movement has physiological value. Flying more efficiently saves energy, thus requiring less food and less time feeding. In fact, brown pelicans fly close to the water, as do other birds, to take advantage of a concept of physics called the ground effect, or sometimes compression gliding. Ground effect comes into play when the bird is within its full wingspan of the surface of the water. As the bird nears the surface, the efficiency increases. It has everything to do with the relative length of the wings, and it's commonly seen in high aspect ratio winged birds. These are birds with wide, narrow wings, like skimmers, petrels, albatrosses, shearwaters, cormorants, and others. Yeah, so the some of the birds that Dad just named, um, look them up because they're actually incredibly cool. Um, skimmers, the black skimmers, we get those along the Gulf Coast, really along the tip of the, of the Gulf Coast. Um, and then albatrosses, man, they're known for just taking flight and really never landing, right? Don't they even sleep while they're flying? Yes, they do. Cool. Yeah, and we'll refer back to them at the very end of, the, of this uh, podcast. Basically, as the bird glides over the water, the air is funneled between the lower surfaces of the wings and the upper surface of the water. The air is thereby compressed and functions like a cushion of dense air that supports the bird aloft, in addition to the normal aerodynamic forces that are at work. So it's really kind of cool. It's sort of like you standing on a, a waterbed and kind of moving up and down. It it, uh, it, it sort of does the same thing with compression. As the bird nears the water surface, the ground effect becomes stronger. Uh, it's also more efficient over calm, flat water. So I think that we need to send um, this nature note in this podcast to all of the physics teachers out there because <laughs> physics is so cool and it's in everything that we do and see. And this is a cool way to learn something like uh, this compression concept or this concept of compression gliding. Exactly. Uh, This aerodynamic phenomenon is very important to aerial wildlife and it's been copied by humans. During World War II, long-range bombers often flew close to the water surface to conserve fuel. 
inexperienced pilots coming in for a landing are often surprised as they gradually drop down as expected, then get within a half of a wing length to the ground, and they're suddenly buoyed upward because of the ground effect. It even happens in commercial aircraft. Pay close attention when you're on a landing plane and you may feel an unexpected buoyant sensation just before touchdown. Yes, I've noticed that before. Very common, very common. Pelicans prefer to glide along the surface, but must occasionally gain a bit of altitude in order to flap their wings so that they can gain speed and resume their glide. Yes, we may often see the relatively large pelicans flying much higher above the water, but we don't see the physiological tax they pay for escaping the ground effect. The ground effect also comes into action when the large birds want to land. Pilots often joke that successfully landing an airplane is just a pilot-controlled crash. (laughs) For the pelican, the ground effect allows the bird to slow its flight while remaining aloft until its landing gear, its feet, touch down. In case you wondered, the ground effect works as well over land as it does over water. But over land, there is a higher probability of encountering a rock, a tree, a cliff, building, telephone pole, or the like. They have to be very careful. Yes. Of course, at sea, there are buoys and boats, so they have to be careful about that as well. Bird flight is complex and fascinating. Maybe that is why books and reams of articles have been written about it, and we learn more every day. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is really cool, and I feel like this is a good podcast episode so that people can just observe these. They don't have to be at the beach looking at the pelican. They can be in their yards. They can be standing outside. Depends on the time of year as to what birds you have there, if you live in an area where you have migrants. And so there's more examples of bird flight. So, um, Dad, let's talk about a few of those examples so that people can learn about them and then also try to figure out as they're making their observations which bird is exhibiting which mechanism of flight. Absolutely. And, and maybe a few comments on where to see it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about declivity currents. This is a, a term that's on everybody, the tip of everybody's tongue. Declivity currents. Declivity currents on the tip of everybody's tongue. tongue. Yep. Um, I, again, this is a, 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 a mechanism that birds use to, for efficiency of flying, and it uses the winds uh, blowing across flat surfaces, usually flat surfaces, and, uh, and hitting some kind of a structure. And when they hit the structure, the wind is deflected upwards. Okay. So the birds are experts at finding that. So Yeah, because, again, it makes them more yeah. efficient in what right. they're doing. They don't have to use as much energy, so therefore they don't have to find as much food and everything. Exactly. So on a national basis, uh, one of the renowned declivity current type events is that each fall uh, in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, broad-winged hawks come down by the thousands from the north down to the south. And what they do is they fly on the east side of the Appalachian Mountains, and they hardly ever flap their wings. And the reason is because of winds that are coming off the Atlantic and being deflected up by the mountains. And they're just taking advantage of it. It's like getting a free ride. It's like when you see somebody on a skateboard buzzing down a street and not moving and not having to press themselves along. Well, that doesn't happen in New Orleans. Right. Like in San Francisco. Right. (laughs) Free ride. (laughs) Exactly. Now, the best place to see it around uh, in, in the New Orleans area uh, and, and those of you that live elsewhere, if you just go to a place where there's a causeway that crosses 
a great span of water. Those are the best places to go to see the use of declivity currents. Because what happens is that you've got wind blowing across the water, sometimes a great expanse of water, and when it, uh, when it reaches the causeway, which is an elevated highway, it deflects up. And so anytime that you uh, drive across the causeway, now the causeway, for those of you that don't know the causeway in, in the New Orleans area, it's the longest bridge in the world over water. And so it's just a magnificent drive. It's 24 miles long. When you drive along there, uh, you you see all sorts of wildlife events. We're going to talk about that in our next podcast. I was going to say, you, that's that's a teaser for Episode 9, which yes. is going to be talking about a naturalist crossing the lake. And we're going to talk about some of these things and what you can look at as you cross any lake, but definitely Lake Pontchartrain, which is um, the, the causeway bridge that Dad is referring to in the New Orleans area. Right. So so anyway, so the wind comes across Lake Pontchartrain. It hits the causeway. It deflects up. And uh, so there's a nice system there of wind that can buoy the body of a, of a bird if, yeah. if the bird knows how to use it. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Definitely the brown pelicans. They, oh, they take advantage of it. They do. And so do all the gulls along there. They're, you'll see both groups of animals using these yeah. declivity currents all the time. And it doesn't have to be a real strong wind, but if it's a a good strong wind, but not a gale force wind where it's dangerous for the birds, you'll see lots and lots of birds flying across. And they yeah. could literally, I have followed them and seen them go the entire length of the causeway wow. without ever flapping their wings. Yeah, I mean, and it's pretty cool when you're sitting there riding on it uh, on the bridge and you look out and there's this pelican that is just enormous and magnificent mm-hmm. and our state bird and all that great stuff. And just to watch it yeah. effortlessly glide. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah, and sometimes at the speed of the cars. Yeah. Literally, I mean, they've, I've, I have driven next to them and watched them just look, looking at them almost eye to eye. But uh, the stronger the wind, the faster the birds move. That would that would be intuitive, and uh, this is augmented by the fetch of the wind. The fetch is the distance that wind blows over uh, a body of water, and so the longer the fetch, usually the more steady the winds, and so you get a much be- better use of declivity currents. That's a new word to me. Fetch. Yeah. I mean, uh, it used in this way. Yeah. I know, no, it's, like you know, you, the sure. dog fetches the toy, but. <laughs> Fetch is the distance where there's no structure blocking the wind. That's, That's pretty right. cool. Yeah. Okay. So when you see this happening, when you see these birds flying along, uh, it suggests that all birds have taken a course in physics. <laughs> right. And like humans, apply their knowledge to physics to make their lives, that is their flight, easier. Nice. So so it's really interesting to see because you you will literally see scads of birds doing it under different conditions. So that so so is it called the flight mechanism? They're taking advantage of a declivity current, but is their actual flight called soaring since they're not flapping? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's yeah. talk about soaring. Well, soaring. When you say the word soaring, what you really mean is a bird that's up in the sky and it's kind of moving in some kind of a pattern, so that it's not doing something that's really uh, uh, requiring any flapping or moving from one place to another. We're going to talk about a couple other mechanisms as we go here, too. So it's like as if they're floating in the air. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, of course, when people see that, they wonder, how in the world can that yeah. bird move? How, why, how is it able to stay aloft and that sort of thing? Well, there are really a couple of ways that they do it. And the first one, 
uh, is, uh, is termed dynamic soaring. Now, when you say dynamic soaring, that means not only soaring, but they're doing something dynamic. They're making some, some choices, some movements and things like that. So on an international basis, if you watch nature movies and things, you will see albatrosses uh, using dynamic soaring. Because once they leave the land, once they leave their nest, they usually don't land until they come back to the nesting site six months, a year later. That is something unbelievable. Like that. Wow. It really is. And if you've ever been fortunate enough to see that, it is amazing. So usually birds that use dynamic soaring have what we call long wing aspect. Uh, yeah, that so you talked that, about that earlier. It's yeah, a, they're long it's a ratio. and narrow. Yeah. yeah, it's a ratio, and they're long and narrow. And you can you see albatrosses, that's what they have, long, narrow wings. Yeah, and so listeners, think yeah. about um, different wings of, of airplanes, because mm-hmm. again, we're going to talk about that in a future episode, but that's that's the idea here. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to see it on a local basis in the southern United States, uh, watch gulls. Watch various species of gulls uh, flying, because they're often doing the same thing at the beach, uh, or even over lakes and things like that, where there's a, when there's a wind blowing. You'll see birds flying around, and they'll, they'll fly in all different directions. But what they may do and probably will do is that they'll occasionally turn into the wind coming from the north, and just their wings stay perfectly still, and they all of a sudden they go zip right up into the— So that's the soaring thing. Okay, so they're, they're actually yeah. looking or seeking, I guess, yeah. the, the wind to where they can take advantage of it to continue yeah. to soar. Yeah, but what they're really doing there when they face into the wind— is that they're increasing their altitude because they're they're, they're not the they're lift. not really heavy birds. Yeah. But as they're as they're moving around and everything, they're going to be dropping in elevation. So they'll use that to climb. But then it brings them back around and they'll fly into it, away from it, down from it, whatever they have to do to to do whatever it is that they need to do. So uh, and one of my very favorites that I mentioned earlier uh, is uh, uh, Mississippi and swallowtail kites are just excellent at this. They're just beautiful. And right now, they're all over our neighborhoods. Yeah, because uh, they, they're the here in the, the in the summer, right? Yeah, here um, in the summer. They're That's migrants. Right. They're migrants, okay. both of them. In summary, when you talk about dynamic soaring, obviously the bird has to make some, de- some decisions. There's a strong wind blowing. The bird knows if its body is suited for it. In other words, it has a high aspect ratio wings the bird can face into the wind and the the wind will lift it up it'll just flash it all of a sudden it'll just start like it's on an elevator going straight up and then when it's high enough wherever it wants to be it just turns off and it starts to either go backwards it it might go completely away from the wind it may be going back there to be with friends it may be going back there to to get food maybe it saw some food back there and it wanted to come down and dive on it uh, that's what dynamic soaring is. So it, if you see, and, and at the very end of this, we'll make a mention of albatrosses. But albatrosses, if you sit and watch them, they are constantly turning into the wind and rising. Then they, they go off for a distance and they get lower and lower and lower. And then all of a sudden they turn back into the wind and boom, they go way up again. That's what dynamic soaring is. It's very dynamic. It's not something they do passively. We're getting ready to talk about passive soaring.
Have you ever seen large birds with stationary, widely spread wings moving in the sky in lazy circles? Good examples in the south are vultures, white pelicans, hawks, cranes, ibises, and in there like name there's a name for that, right? They're called they're called a kettle. Yeah, they are called a kettle. Okay, so a kettle of birds flying around, moving in the sky, lazy circles. A kettle lazy of circles. birds. A kettle of birds. That's right. Um, so so we we call what they're doing is that they're riding thermals or thermal soaring. Thermal are, means heat. Yes, those are those are synonyms. And it often happens on very warm days. Birds that do this typically have passive soaring wings. That's actually a classification of wings. They're wide, they're long, and they're slotted. Takes advantage of the rising air. That's as opposed to what we talked about, high aspect, where they're long and right, thin. Right, long and thin, yeah. yeah. Heat waves are being reflected from the ground. Or highways, concrete islands that we call heat islands, such as shopping centers and other things. Yeah, and cities. And cities. Yep. Yep, all of these things result in thermal soaring for birds. So heat waves rise and the birds find them and take what is presumably an exhilarating ride upward, usually in a circular fashion. Interestingly, it is often even more intriguing than simply a lift. There's more to it than meets the eye. It often results in what we call a thermal shell being formed. Visualize a donut-shaped air circulation floating through the air. Imagine that the invisible donut-shaped air mass has moving air spinning around the tasty part of the donut, through the hole, and back around the tasty part. Naturalists and scientists do have a name for the circular atmospheric structure. Of course we do. We always have names. Of course. They're called vortex rings. <laughs> Next time you're having donut with someone, say, I love the taste of these vortex rings, and brace yourself for a weird reaction. Unless they're having it with you, and then they'll just look at you and go, okay, Dr. Bob. Exactly. <laughs> or if they're a scientist, they go, hey, they oh, really are great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine how a bird can gain lift and just follow these thermal shells as they float about in the sky. But where do thermal shells come from, and how do they form? That's always the big question yep, for a naturalist. Definitely. As heat waves go skyward from the ground, the rising air encounters colder air that slows its ascent, causing the upper levels to slow, but still be fed by the lower rising warm air. This is invisible to the human eye, but imagine that it looks somewhat like a mushroom of air with the rising thermals being the stalk and the now donut circulating air being the cap. I can totally visualize that now. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's invisible, So, but that's what's happening, essentially. Exactly. Cool. This works for the birds for sure, but the next step is maybe the most exciting and usually easily visible to the casual observer. The donut usually breaks away from its feeder rising thermals and floats away in the air. Again, I want to remind you, it's invisible. Right. It's just moving air. The speed at which it moves is governed by the winds of the moment. So the faster? The faster the winds, the faster, faster it drifts away. Okay. You will know when this happens because, number one, you'll observe a kettle. Yep. Those are the birds flying around, 
yep. the circular motion. Right. Number two, you will notice the kettle is moving, no longer stationary. Number three, and typically at some point, the donut breaks down and the birds in the kettle begin to flap their wings and fly about. Cool. Okay. They're obviously not yeah. soaring any longer. Anymore. Yeah. And then as they flap around, what they're doing is searching for another donut to ride. Yeah, because they don't want to put that energy out. Exactly. And it will be obvious when they find a donut as they will stop flapping their wings and resume their circular soaring. That's just interesting. It's so much fun. Really great fun. Well, Dad, let's wrap up by um, making all this stuff that we've talked about relevant to people around the globe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people who can look for these flight patterns and and where they are more likely to see them. So give us some examples of this. And this is like the birds using these combinations of these flight methods and what patterns to look for. Right. Well, what what I suggest in summary is no matter where you live, no matter where you travel, you're likely to see things like this if you keep your eyes open, if you keep your eyes peeled. So it's always good as a, as a budding naturalist to be looking for these things once you hear of them or you, you learn about them to keep your eyes open yeah, to see if you just, can see them. Yeah, just so, go outside and look up. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so, so today we talked about declivity currents. We talked about thermal shells. We talked about... Uh, uh, Compression, compression flying yep. and things like that. So when you go to the beach, you can, believe me, you yeah, will see, see that. brown pelicans or flying Or go to a lake, beach. you can see that and um, driving over a, a bridge. Absolutely. Keep your eyes peeled because you're likely to see it in lots of places. Uh, you might uh, see it if you're on a boat somewhere. Uh, like I remember when I was 12 years old, the first time that I saw it happen, I was out in the middle of the Atlantic on the SS America, which is a huge ship. And my dad and I were walking around the edge, and we saw birds. Looks like they were hovering over the rails. No, they were riding declivity currents yeah. on the edge of that boat. You just didn't because, know your physics yet. That's right, right. <laughs> you're far out to sea. I mean, you're not in the middle of the Atlantic because the birds are not out there. But you're close enough to land that they're venturing around and looking for, for food and that sort of thing. Uh, when, if, if you go to someplace like Antarctica, which, by the way, a lot of people do these days, a lot more than you think. Uh, you, you go, uh, a lot of people go by ship, uh, as an example, from uh, uh, Cape Horn yeah. through the Drake Passage to Antarctica. And when you're out there, it's pretty rough water. It can be really rough water. But what's really cool about it for a bird watcher is that there's plenty of albatrosses and giant petrels that are as big as an albatross and all these other things that live at sea unless they're nesting. And so here comes a big ship. Yeah. And few and far between. And they go straight to the ship to ride the declivity currents. And I know when when I've done that, I spend most of my time awake while everybody else is sleeping because I can't get enough birds. So just keep your eyes open. That's the main thing is keep your eyes open and your mind active. Well, like we always say, just notice the patterns. And then um, you mentioned once you hear about this pattern or you hear hear about these different mechanisms, then you're more likely the next time you see something to go, oh, I wonder if that's what they were talking about on their Sonat podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us to learn about bird flight. I certainly learned a whole lot today. Um, We hope you're more inspired to get outside and start noticing different things always, but certainly flight patterns yourself. You can find more information about the topics we discussed and more resources for naturalists by following us on our social media at SONAT Podcast and on our website at lucec.lowino.com. 
www.ucf.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and write a review if you enjoyed it. Until next time. Bye.